All right. Thank you for joining us again with On the Mic with Mike. And uh, I figured I was just going to talk about the R. Kelly uh, situation. You know, um, given that I am in Chicago and uh, R. Kelly is a native of Chicago, you know, I figured I'd talk about this because it is very criminal justice related. Um, And uh, let's just go into it. You know, R. Kelly has been accused and currently stands accused, at least in the court of public opinion. Uh, And he has been accused previously in the court of law for uh, committing actions that are sexual in nature with both uh, underage girls and uh, certain actions against grown women, too. And so when you look at that, you know, he uh, was found not guilty in a court of law um, because the state was not able to meet their burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt that he uh, had sex with an underage girl and that he uh, urinated on her in the course of that. That's at least what was alleged. And so the court uh, was not able to prove that. And so he was found not guilty uh, because the jury, you know, with the evidence that they had, they were not able to find him guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. So that having been said, Lifetime Television, a cable network, came out with a docu-series or documentary called Surviving R. Kelly. Uh, I did not have a chance to see all six episodes or however many episodes there were, but I did have a chance to see a few of them. And uh, I tend to look at things from as much as I can, uh, because humans, we are obviously, you know, filled with emotion. But I try to look at things from a non-emotional uh, standpoint or a point of view. And when I looked at these, my main thing is looking at the, the mode or the, the, the motive in certain respects. And I don't know if motive is the correct term to use. And because this, this is in no way implying that a victim of any kind of sexual assault has to have a motive to report it. That's not the implication here. But I guess the correct term would be to use, I'm looking at the the mental state that could or does show itself when you listen to a person's uh, version of the events. Okay. And uh, me, me obviously being a male and having had both interactions, you know, uh, having had non-sexual interactions with men and both sexual and non-sexual interactions with women, you know, of course, this is a real podcast. We have to be real. Um, I tend to look at one dominating theme that I seem to see, uh, and that is docility or the state of being docile, having, uh, in essence, the lack of control, self-control to where someone can find a weakness within you and capitalize on that weakness for their own personal gain. And then docility is where you appear as as in essence that you don't stand up for yourself, that, you know, once that person has capitalized on that weakness, you don't know that they've done so, uh, but they definitely know that they've done so. And so I see that's the predominating theme 
in this, you know. Uh, and it was good to see that I'm not the only person who believes that to be the case. You know, when I look at these people, um, and the background that you're hearing, I'm also setting up my classroom as well. So just pardon the background, you know, I got to work and do this too. But, you know, the, the, the predominating theme that you see is that it's docility, you know, uh, and some are, you know, they, they wanted fame, you know, they, they wanted fame because I, the question is, is R. Kelly the only person that could ever do something like that? I argue no. You know, you have some women that look at superstars, you know, regardless of whether they're actors, whether they're, you know, uh, pastors, you know, whether they're, you know, lawyers, you know, or famous lawyers, I guess, or even ones not so famous, you know, um, just people who, who have prominence, who have stature, who show authority, you know. Who, who show a, a strong presence. And it doesn't even have to be male. It could be female too, you know, because men suffer from uh, these things too. You know, what, what some would, in, you know, informally term as mommy issues. You know, uh, you have some men that suffer from that too. And, you know, and, and let me qualify this too. In no way am I saying that it is an absolute that if you suffer from these kinds of emotional issues because of a traumatic experience, that, you, that, has, that has visited you, that it's an absolute that you are going to fall victim to uh, someone's mental predatory attacks. That, that's not what I'm suggesting here, nor am I suggesting that R. Kelly stands guilty of what he uh, has been accused of, but we're gonna get into another segment about his lyrics too. So I don't wanna digress, so let me stay on, uh, on, on track here. But it seems to be, that, you know, when you have a person that has a weak mind, that they seem to be the prime candidate of an R. Kelly-like or a like attack where a person capitalizes on your the, the voids that are in your life. You know, those of you who have followed me before, you know, I have a Facebook page. Uh, it's uh, Mike Brown or Instructor Mike. You can find any of those Facebook page, uh, any of those uh, on Facebook. You know, um, those of you who follow me know that I am a firm believer and I talk about quite often Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a psychological theory coined by Abraham Maslow, who's a, a, psycho, psycho, a psychologist who pretty much talked about the needs that we as humans need in our lives and that those needs must be fulfilled in order for us to self-actualize. And in order to self-actualize, let's just say you want to be a doctor, you want to be a lawyer, you want to be an astronaut, you know, you want to be an astrophysicist, neurosurgeon, whatever the case may be, you're not born with that automatically. Uh, and you may get some sciences to debate that there's some special gene that automatically your destiny has been chosen for you and this and this and that. That's fine. You know, I leave that theory to them or those theories to them. But, you know, in order for you to actualize whatever it is you desire to be, there is a set of needs that must be, uh, must be built or must be met, if you will. And if we look at it, just imagine, you know, if you're on a computer or on your phone listening to this or whatever, you can look up Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And what you'll see is you'll see it diagrammed as a pyramid, 
okay? And I think it is extremely accurate. At the bottom, you've got your physiological needs, your needs for food, water, uh, sex, and not sex for enjoyment, but sex for procreation. You know, you have these. And uh, in that, you'll see that, you know, uh, prime example, if, if it's hard for you to have dreams and and be in a state where you think about positive things if you have been uh, void or divested of food, the basic things that, you know, keep you alive, you know, homeostasis, which is the body's ability to self-regulate your temperature, 98.6 degrees, your BP, blood pressure, 120 over 60, whatever the case may be, you know, if, if the body can't self-regulate and if you're always having medical problems, you know, that could be the source of, you know, the lack of your ability to, uh, that could be the source of why self-actualization becomes impossible because if you're dead, what are you going to be? You know, I mean, <laughs> that's just obvious. And so once we get past the, uh, the, the physiological needs, now we're talking about other needs in terms of the need to feel secure. You know, the need to feel secure. Uh, am I always under constant threat of losing my life or am I secure? You know, uh, and we do have people, both men and women, that have insecurities. These insecurities could be physical. If you're always under physical attack, these insecurities could be mental. If you're always under mental attack and you haven't been taught how to reject those mental attacks, you haven't been taught, you know, uh, the value of self so that you can value the self. You, you see what I'm saying? You have to be taught the value of self so that you can value the self. You know, what is it about you that makes you unique, that makes you different? And are these differences good, bad? You know, and on whose opinion are we resting that these differences are good or bad? You know, should you even value other people's opinions when it comes down to certain things that are practically irrelevant to whatever your bottom line is in that given uh, analysis? If you if you're trying to make money, why do I care about whether or not you like what whether or not you like the fact that I like hamburgers? That has nothing to do with me making money unless I'm working in a hamburger shop, you know, um, and the hamburgers are good or bad. <laughs> so. If we get back on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, we look at one of those needs. Obviously, we just talked about it, self-esteem. And so that is uh, one area where I see that at the time of these girls introduction, if you will, into uh, R. Kelly's life, it is probable okay, or it is possible that they could have had a self-esteem issue. It's very possible, you know, and different people come into different lives for different reasons. OK. Um, and when they come into your life for a different reason, it is up to you to be able to have the wherewithal to be able to make the analysis as to whether or not this person is good for you or if they think that you are good for them. I'll say this again. It's important for you to make the analysis as to whether or not you think they are good for you or whether you think that they think that you are good for them. Because sometimes a person can tell you they love you and sometimes they could mean it. Or it could be that they're saying that they love you because they don't love you. They love themselves and their mission that includes you. So they love you at that time for what they desire out of you, and that's why they love you. They don't love 
you and all that you have to bring or whatever the case may be, it's motive based. And so if you don't have self-esteem and if you're looking for validation, you know, someone to make you feel as though you exist, to acknowledge your existence, things like that, then it's likely that you could fall prey to predatory uh, attacks mentally and things like that from people who have ulterior motives because the thinking brain, the thinking brain, it, it, it becomes stunned, if you will, the ability for you to be able to make that analysis because you, you lack the self-esteem. And so that's what I look at when I see, you know, these uh, these women. As we go along in the pyramid, we're talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs again. As we go along in that pyramid, you begin to go up in the pyramid and on the third part of the pyramid is worth, belonging needs, love, right? And you'll see that in the pyramid, okay, and there are many different diagrams, some are more explanatory than others, uh, or they, they are more, you know, deep in diagram than others, they show a lot more, you know, you'll see that esteem needs also exist, not only in the security aspect of it, the second part from the bottom going up, but it also exists in the third part going up as well. Where do you learn your first self-esteem needs? Where do, you, where, do you, where do those get filled? Where, where does that get filled? Typically at home, in the family. You know, not every person who brings a child into the world is fit to be a parent. You know, I, I tend to coin being a parent akin to running for political office. Now, we're not talking about the, the monetary aspects and all these other different things that are typically needed for political office, because if <laughs> here, here's this, you might find this funny. If running for political office or if being a parent was akin to running for political office, then we would have less parents. Why is that? Because in essence, depending upon what kind of election that you're trying to uh, win or what seat you're trying to win, you typically have to have money in order to be able to mount a good uh, campaign, both ads and challenges to your petitions and things like that. And so if parents had to go or uh, humans had to go through that and that was a qualifier for you to be a parent, we probably have a lot less kids. We have a, a, a lot less of a population and things like that. So we probably would never grow. So in looking at you know, uh, uh, the family, right? I akin running uh, for election akin to, you know, being a parent. There really is no qualifier other than your biological uh, parts, if you will, your reproductive organs just have to work and you have to be alive, obviously, for them to work, okay? And so those are the only qualifiers that the biological specimens that the biological parts, your reproductive organs work and that the mother survives and nurtures the fetus through the gestation period, through the, through the pregnancy. And then once the baby comes out, bam, just like that. There's no manual on how to be a perfect parent. People write books, people have suggestions, people have ideas based upon science and sometimes what works for them, you know, in terms of being a good parent. But other than that, you know, Kids typically, you know, are kids. And so it's a trial and error basis for a good percentage of the things that you do with kids. And so, you know, when you have uh, parents that bring children into the world and they themselves are broken and they don't know how to fix the their own emotions, 
they tend to pass that stuff down to their children, especially if no one is in their life that has tried to help them and that the parent or the person with the emotional issue has actually listened to. And this becomes a strain in families where uh, families have tried to reach out to uh, different family members and things like that. And, uh, you know, the, the, the person would shut them off, block them out. You know, they don't want to talk about the emotional issue. And so the family member goes on uh, knowing that this person has issues, but being afraid to, you know, uh, be that tough love kind of person, that interventionalist, if you will, you know, uh, tough love kind of interventionalist. Uh, and tell them, hey, you got issues that got to be taken care of. And if you don't fix these issues, you're going to pass it down to your kids and they're going to have emotional issues and such. So when you have a family and it doesn't have to be a perfect family either. But when you have a family that teaches values and teaches self-worth and teaches the, uh, the child or children how to jumpstart or boost their own self-worth. Right. Because you get certain parents that. When they teach their kids and they tell their kids, you know, I love you, you're going to be great, you're going to be this, you're going to be that, you know, it's like giving a kid a fish or giving a kid some food. You know, at some point in time, you got to teach that kid how to feed themselves because you, as much as you would love to be around forever, you're not going to be around forever. And so you have to teach them self-esteem, self-sufficiency. You have to teach them that. And so that is one thing that tends to be missing in a percentage of homes. They don't always have to be. Uh, financially broken, you can have a financially intact home and that and that thing exists too. You know, mommy gives me everything and, you know, um, I don't know how to do for self. And then when that shock trauma comes, the loss of a loved one or the loss of money or the loss of this, it becomes extremely traumatic because they were never taught self-sufficiency. And so tying that into uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and back to why an R. Kelly situation is even possible, tying that in, you look at it where um, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, notice on that pyramid, and I really hope you're looking at it, notice that esteem needs is the only, except for sex, esteem needs is the only need that exists in more than one level on that pyramid. Without self-esteem, without self-esteem in essence, is the, it's like the ballistic vest of your mind. You know, because you're going to go through tough things in your mind. You're going to go through challenges. You're going to go through your times where you begin to challenge, your, challenge yourself or question yourself. You got to have that mental rebound. And that's what we need to do in every community and more especially in the black community for that is where I am from. You know, um, when you think about it and I'm going to talk about my experience, you know, with black parents, you know, because obviously I come from black parents. I don't want to say obviously, but, you know, I come from black parents and you know, the one thing I will say about black parents is this. Think about it when and if you're black and you got black parents, you'll 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 find this funny. Think about it when you or one of your siblings or even someone, you know, has come to their parent and mom, you don't love me, mom, this mom, that, you know, you know, and your parent is like, what? What did you say? I don't love you. Let me tell you something. I put food on the table, clothes on your back, a roof over your head. The hell you talking about? I don't love you. Got some nerve. Get in that room and clean up. You, you'll get that kind of reaction from 
from parents. You will get that kind of reaction. And so we grow up in certain respects attributing love, right? Attributing love to material things because that is what we, that, if we ever had that issue with our parents and we said that, we begin to attribute love to material things. Or if you had a situation where you were at school and somebody talked about you and you went home and told your mom and then your mom was like, I love you, you know, you're great, you're this, you're that. But typically our parents, you know, tend to be working parents or, or doing other stuff, hopefully working, you know, and that I love you may become may come to you few and far between where, you know, um, you, your mom tells you every day they love you. And the one thing I tend to notice when I do a lot of analysis of parents, you know, I teach a large security training class in Chicago. And so I ask this question of my class because I, I just don't teach security. I teach life lessons. You know, we don't have a lot of those in our community. And so I use my security training also as a platform for, you know, uplifting. And so uh, I ask that question of parents and you'll get them some who will say, oh, I tell my kid every day that I love them. Now, I know and you know that you <laughs> you show them love. And so you don't tell them every day that you love them. Truthfully, let's be honest. You don't tell them every day that you love them. Why? Because you show them love and you hope because of the love you have shown them and the times that you have shown them or told them before that you love them. You hope you bought some love currency, if you will. You know, well, I don't have to tell you every day that I love you. You know that I love you. I provide this food. I provide this, this. I provide this, that. And so these are the things that a person who loves you will do. Well, that's not necessarily true because it is so easy to confuse responsibility with love, right? Well, if you, and I told this to my mom once, you know, we had this conversation, you know, and when she said that to me, and my mom and I, we had a, pre, a pretty uh, uh, contentious, might be the word to use. We had a pretty contentious relationship. We didn't have the best of relationship, and God rest her So I love her. You know, she passed in 2018. You know, um, it was peaceful. Uh, but, you know, um, I would tell my mom this. Well, mom, don't confuse love with responsibility. If you don't feed me, you're going to lose me and likely go to jail. This has nothing to do with love. This has everything to do with responsibility. Love is just the extra gravy that you put on it. Love is an emotion. You don't even have to love me to make me. Isn't that amazing? You don't have to love me to make me. The biological process must be in place. All the parts must be in place for you to make me. Love has nothing to do with this. So if you don't have to love me to make me, I think that's bad logic for you to say that because you provide food and water and shelter for me, that's love. That's not love. That's your responsibility, both legally and one would say morally as well. Okay. And so we have to look at how or ask ourselves the question, how do we build mental and emotional toughness in our kids if it's not the case that we can attribute love to materialism. If we can't attribute love to materialism because that's false, then how do we build mental and emotional toughness in our kids? And so I look at 
when I was in the military. When I was in the military, we said creeds every day. And I was not just in the military. When I was, you know, in the police academy and ROTC, you know, that was where my first leadership training, you know, uh, was. And so I looked at like, why do we say creeds every day? And then as I became an instructor in various disciplines, you know, and primarily even in law enforcement and uh, having gotten my, you know, master's degree in criminal justice and my bachelor's in uh, criminal justice, psychology and philosophy, I had three concentrations. Um, You begin to look at what helps us get that mental toughness, things like that. And uh, what, what jump, what jump starts us, you know, and I looked at the creeds. Why do we say creeds every day? Well, you don't say creeds every day simply because the drill instructor told you or the drill sergeant told you to do it, even though that's definitely a motivator, because if you don't say it, you might have some front back go push up drug in the sand or not literally drag through the sand type issues. You're going to have some problems. So you better say that or else, you know, but I look at it from the perspective of why you say it. You don't say it for when times are good. You say it for when times are bad. You say it for the times when you, it sucks. You're in battle. Shots are being fired your way. Enemies are coming your way. You know, all the things that would freak out a person who is not in a military profession. All the things that would cause you as a human to run, a, to run away instinctively. See, what we don't understand is that humans are built with internal self-defense mechanisms, things that your body does automatically when startled, okay? And you have to learn to resist those things. Primarily, uh, prime example, the Secret Service agent, uh, Tim McCarthy, when he took the bullet for President Reagan, the body has a natural built-in self-defense mechanism to run away from things that it perceives or that the brain is taught that is a deadly threat. And every person who recognizes firearms and understands what they do tends to act in actions to repel or get away from a gun when it is actively being fired because we don't want to die. So for Tim McCarthy to have spread his body to be a human shield so that Ronald Reagan would, President Ronald Reagan would not take that bullet he had to be trained to resist his human instinct, to give in to that instinct and do what he was hired to do, okay? So tying that in with, you know, uh, 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 creeds, you know, we say creeds not for when things are good. We say creeds when things are good repetitiously so that we build it within our brain. Sometimes people say people in the military are brainwashed. I happen to agree, not brainwashed to what they think the brainwashing is, but brainwashing to survive. Brainwashing to survive. So as we look at it, as it relates to these women and an R. Kelly situation and self-esteem, because that's what we've been talking about thus far, I came up with a self-esteem creed, okay? And in this self-esteem creed, uh, 
you can't just fill your kid with positive things about themselves and ignore the strength deficiencies. You can't do that because you're doing it. You're doing your child a disservice or you're doing that loved one a disservice because while you love them, they are not perfect. They're not going to be everything to everyone. You know, you sit there and tell your child erroneously that you could be whatever you want to be. That's 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 not true. There's a lot of things in life that we want to be that we don't get to because there's other qualifiers beside just the desire to want to be something. You have to meet other uh, standards, if you will. And so I'll go over this self-esteem creed. Okay, I am. And if you want the self-esteem creed, you can go on ahead and email me at uh, Mike at uh, let me give my other email. I'm sorry. Michael Brown one zero zero one at hotmail.com, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-B-R-O-W-N-1001 at hotmail.com. If you want this self-esteem building creed, you can email me and I'll send it to you, okay? I am your name here. I must never lie to myself. I must secure my inner Maslow. What do I mean by secure my inner Maslow? Securing your inner Maslow, right? Those those self-esteem needs. Yeah, you've been screwed over. Yeah, you've been this. Yeah, you've been that. Find something that's strong about you and tell yourself this every day. Okay, and find those strength deficiencies. Don't lie to yourself because that's what makes you susceptible to an R. Kelly kind of attack. When you sit here and a person compliments you and says you are beautiful, and instead of you knowing that you're beautiful, you're waiting for that self uh, validation. You're waiting for that 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 mental thing where someone comes along and helps you see something that either you can see yourself or they make you feel a special kind of way. And so when they get you into a part of the brain. Here we go, back to psychology again. You've got a part of the brain called the amygdala. It's very small, but it actually controls four essential features, okay? Uh, flight, which is running from this fear. Fight, which is fighting this fear, okay? Emotions, right? And then you fight, fright, I'm sorry, flight, fight, freeze, and emotions. When this fear comes to you, but you don't have a plan, and so mentally, you freeze, right? You freeze mentally. And so the part as a certified anger management specialist that I've come to realize and see in the people that I help and educate about anger is the thinking brain. When you're relaxed and you're, you're, you're calm and you're in your fine motor skills and you're securing your body and you've eaten and stuff like that, you can think. You can think rationally, you know, depending upon if you've been trained to analyze things rationally. You can think rationally, and so you, you tend to have control of, of certain things. But when you're in your emotions, you're in your feelings, it shuts off the thinking brain. It shuts off the, the brain's ability to analyze whether or not this person's compliment that they've given to you is just that, a compliment. Or is it a compliment that has a motive that requires you to latch on to that compliment thinking that, oh my God, he called me beautiful or she called me beautiful, so she must love me. That's not true. I can call you beautiful all day and totally hate you, but love the way you look, right? And so you have to have the ability to be able to analyze that. And that becomes missing in a person that's looking for validation, in a person that, that you know, has not secured their inner Maslow. Because the, the prime theme behind Maslow is if these needs do not get met, we become stuck and we begin to look for or we begin to be stuck in that stage of self-actualization 
or in that theory of progressing to self-actualization, we don't actualize what we want to be. And in fact, we become stuck until something comes along, whether we look for it or it comes our way, that actually fills this void. You know, it's like the putty to a problem, but that putty may not be the right kind of putty. Okay, so moving on. I must love me first. I do love me first. Happy, sad, good, bad, love, hated, underrated. It's no one's job to make me anything. Make me happy. You know, I used to hear that from women. You have to make me happy. If I got to make you happy, I, I, I don't want the job because it's not my job to make you happy. It's my job to complement the happiness that you make yourself. Okay, here we go. It's no one's job to heal me of anything. We all go through tragedies and things like that. It's no one's job to heal you of anything. You look at some of these memes and some of these things, a man is supposed to make you feel secure. A man is supposed, or even a woman is supposed to make you feel secure. A person is supposed to make you feel wanted. A person is supposed to make you feel like, you know, you belong in their lives and things like that. Wait a minute, you need to belong to yourself first and that person does need to, you know, uh, uh, participate in actions that make you feel part of the team. But you also need to have the ability to analyze when, A, you are no longer wanted in that team and don't get emotionally affected so much to the point where you get stuck. We all get emotionally affected. You're going to. You're human. But don't get emotionally affected to the point where you get stuck. And this is where some people get stuck on that theory. OK, I must make me. I must heal me. I must know my worth. I must make myself worth. There is no positive worth with, without positive work. In that work, I am worth. You can't even spell worth without work. A diamond isn't a diamond until someone puts in the work to make a diamond a diamond and thus give it value. You have to work on yourself to be worth anything. Please don't think that because you exist that you are worth something. You just exist. And while you are entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, how you go about those pursuits is subjective. It's individual. Okay? Here we go. I am beautiful or handsome to me. Not everyone will see me as beautiful or handsome. That's reality. That's okay. I will not be everyone's type. That too is reality. That's okay. I know that I am my type. Now that is powerful because some people have a false expectation to where they are just beautiful to everyone. No, you are, look, you may be beautiful. Oh my God, it may be a, a, a predominant theory that this person is just hot, but somewhere in the world, Someone finds that beautiful person to be ugly, not their type. And then you could be beautiful externally, but mentally you could be ugly. See, and you have to be real with yourself. See, if you lie to yourself, then you're setting yourself up for the fall too. I am smart about what I know. And while I don't know it all, I want to know it all. While I want to be right, I can't always be right. I won't always be right. My body is what it is. I can change some things. I will change some things. I won't change other things. I will embrace what I'm not good at. I will perfect what I'm good at. 
prime example. I was in shape when I was in the military. Now I am a shape, okay? <laughs> I don't have any desire to go to the gym. I'm comfortable with that. I need to, maybe I will, but if I don't, that's okay. You need to tell yourself this, right? If I want to do, here we go, back to the creed. If I want to do, think first. If I don't want to do, act first, okay? I must learn that timing is everything. When the timing is right, I must speak when necessary. I must listen more. I must see everything. I must see beyond the forest. Seeing beyond the forest to me is like playing chess, right? You gotta set yourself up for the future move. You gotta be able to see the next move. I love chess. Yeah, checkers is an okay game, but I like the game of chess because it requires you to know the next move, especially if you wanna survive. It also requires that you know the pieces, what they do, their place, okay? Their place, all right? So, uh, I must, uh, let, me go, let me get back to that, here we go. I am no good to anyone else if I am no good to myself. I must always do for self. I am a business. I must treat myself as such. I must interview others as employees into my business as such. If you wouldn't go into business with this person, why would you get into a relationship with this person, right? No one is more professional than I. I am, and then you just put your name here, okay? That's the self-esteem creed. You got to tell yourself real things about yourself. You can't lie to yourself, right? And so when we tie that in, do you think this self-esteem creed could have been used by these women? I like to think so, right? Because no one should be able to come to you and say the things that R. Kelly says in his music. That's why when you look at the lyrics, the lyrics, I'm a flirt, the lyrics to, you know, I don't see nothing wrong with bump and grind. You need my good loving. All these lyrics appeal to the very thing that these women suffer from. They want to be loved. They want to be held and, 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 and things like that. And somewhere, some way, there's an emotional divestment in the self. An emotional divestment in the self first. And because of that emotional divestment in the self, right, you have a situation where an R. Kelly is possible because he, through his music, a person can be one thing in their persona, their public persona, and another thing in private. We all have four faces, public, private, well, actually it's three, public, private, and secret, right? And so... A person could be one thing in public and another thing in private, but you only see the persona. You fall in love in your mind with that persona because that person through their music fills a void. It fills a void, right? It fills a void. And because it fills that void, you're thinking you're walking into something selfishly. Of course, that's where it comes from. Come on now, selfishly. And so it becomes this other thing. And because you don't have or your mind wasn't bulletproofed to rebound from that, you became stuck. And that's why they didn't speak out. That's why they didn't say anything. Or it could have also been that they had this ability 
to speak out and say something. But in doing so, it would have disclosed maybe an ulterior motive that they had to get R. Kelly's cash, get a baby, right? Because if you look at the predominating uh, thing that you keep hearing in these allegations, these women keep coming up pregnant, right? So here we go. Women that are coming up pregnant in this, right? I am void of emotional love. I am void of that security. And so I am going to look for someone who's going to give me something that's going to fill that void of baby. Because if you look at the love that, and the affection that goes between a mother and her child, this baby has no choice but to love me unconditionally. Why? <laughs> because it's a baby. Doesn't know anything. It has to love me, I have to love it, or he or she. And so that's what I'm looking for, so this man is gonna give it to me, I'm gonna get it. Never mind whether you're able to emotionally, you can physically take care of that baby, right? You can give it clothes, food, all that stuff, you know how to do that. But emotionally, psychologically, are you able to take care of that baby with regard to self sustenance, self-sufficiency, are you able to do that? Arguably, maybe not, because you're not really able to do it for yourself, see? And so when we look at things from that perspective, that's all that I see. There's some criminality in that too, of course, but that's the, per that, that's the primary theme that I see throughout this docu-series. Fame, fortune, and emotional instability docility. That's what I see. And so how do we bulletproof our young girl's minds against that kind of, or those kinds of actions? You got to build them up mentally. They have to be able to repel those attacks. They have to be able to. And that's why in R. Kelly's situation, it's even possible because some people lack that ability to repel those kinds of mental attacks. They lack that. And so we gotta, we gotta do better. We gotta do better in providing our kids with the ability to repel those attacks. Because if we don't, there'll be more docu-series. There'll be, there'll be more coming outs, right? Okay, well, that's it for today's podcast or this week's podcast. Uh, I'll try to, well, I'm definitely gonna get back into it. I like this. I like the new way that I was able to set this up and record this while I was working. That was part of the reason why uh, we didn't have frequent podcasts every week. Um, and I'm definitely going to, because I got a lot of things to say. Uh, and I thank you for following and listening and stuff like that. Please uh, go online to uh, MikeBrownsClass.com. You'll see I'm based out of Chicago. If you want to take concealed carry security classes or even self-defense classes, CPR, all that stuff, uh, MikeBrownsClass.com. Uh, get yourself into a concealed carry class for real. You need to. You need to be able to protect yourself. I might talk about that on my next podcast. Um, all right, you guys stay safe, and I love you. I really do. Let's let's build ourselves up mentally. Okay, let's build that mental toughness. Take care, guys.